Today's word that we're going to study is from the book of John chapter 10. So John chapter 10, starting in verse number 11. John chapter 10, and as we celebrate Palm Sunday, we're going to celebrate the Lord who was celebrated himself on that day. Within the week, he would be crucified, but we're going to study today Jesus the Good Shepherd, starting in John chapter 10, verse number 11. And then this is what Jesus said, and we'll read and ask God's blessing on it. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd, this is in verse 11, I guess, of chapter 10. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. And may the Lord bless his word as we have it read into our hearts today. So we're studying the good shepherd, Jesus, and we're going to learn how he is not like those in this world who try to get between us and God. And in Jesus's own day, they had a number of religious leaders. They, Jesus was raised in a religious time period. And during the religious time period, they, they went to what, there was equivalent of church. They had synagogue, they had a temple, they had sacrifices and rituals, they had priests, they had teachers of the law, they had enforcers of the law. They had so many people who were religious at the time of Jesus. And the religious leaders were parts mostly of either the Pharisees or the Sadducees, but they were people who did not readily accept Jesus. In fact, they were the ones who criticized him the most. And you can see quickly here that in this story, we have here the contrast between Jesus, the good shepherd, and the hirelings who would be the religious leaders of his day. Now, he had already spent time earlier in the chapter talking about the devil, and we'll explain that shortly, but we want to make sure we know that there is a big difference between Jesus Christ, who will guide us correctly, and everyone else who will guide us the wrong way. And also understand that There are three characters here. You have, of course, Jesus, the shepherd. You have four characters, actually, four groups. You have Jesus, the shepherd, the hirelings taking care of the sheep, the third group, and then, of course, the devil, who's the wolf, who's going to come in, in this case, 
the persona of a wolf and is going to come in and, and scatter and try to catch the sheep. So those are the four groups represented here. Now, as we understand here, those people who have control over religion, who want to dominate you in religion and want to tell you what to do and everything you do in your life, those people who know better than God, those people are people who Jesus calls the hirelings. Now, why are the hirelings very bad for the sheep? Well, number one is they're not vested. See what he says here in verse number uh, 12. One who does not own the sheep. You see, they didn't pay any price for the sheep. They just, they're just being paid by the hour. They don't have an investment in the sheep. So they don't care. Well, I didn't pay for it. I've seen this happen so many times in workplaces where people say, well, I'll give you a good deal. I'll do this for you. It's not their property, but they don't care because it's not theirs. They're not going to risk their lives defending somebody else's property. They're going to go their own way. It's not worth it. And that's the normal idea. When you have somebody who's a hireling, they're hired to do the job. They're not necessarily going to be a person who would be considered an owner of the property. I've seen owners of businesses, and many of you, who will go extra hours, extra length because it's your business. And if you're invested in your business, it's a farm or it's any other business, you're going to spend some extra time because it's your business. You own it. You own the land. You own the, the animals. You own these things. It's a big motivation when you own it rather than just work for somebody for a paycheck. And Jesus says that the hirelings are not vested and they don't have a real concern. On the, on the internet and on media, you will have lots of people that will tell you what's good for you. I mean, they'll tell you all kinds of advice, but what happens when you get in trouble? Can you call those people? Can you call them up and say, hey, help me out? And they're gonna say, I don't know you. You know, I have other things, leave me alone. You need to understand that you never want to put somebody, a human being, between you and God. God wants us to have immediate access to him through the good shepherd, that is Jesus Christ. So the hirelings are not vested. Next part here is not only are they not vested, they don't own the sheep, but they see the wolf coming and they leave the sheep and they flee. So they are not convicted. They don't have any firm conviction in their hearts. They're liable to go any which direction. When they see the danger, they're going to run away. I don't need this stress. I don't need to deal with this. And they run away. The average pastor stays at a church about two years, maybe. Maybe. It usually does. Because guess what? In church, you have problems because you have people. The pastors have problems. They're not perfect. And the people are not perfect, and you get problems. You don't always have a situation where you can stay a long time, and that's that's understandable. But that's true of all types of work because there's a lot of people who bounce from job to job to job to job, and those people, uh, it's it's difficult because if you own a business and you stick with that business, you're probably going to stick with it because you're committed to it. And if something bad happens, you're going to, if there's a danger, you're going to risk something of yourself for it. Well, the, the hirelings, when they see a danger, they run away. They don't stay. The third thing about the hirelings is that 
The hireling flees because he is a hireling. He is a hireling. His whole commitment, he's not committed. He's not convicted and he's not committed. He's not committed to the sheep. He, he, He didn't take the job for that. He took the job for the money, not for the people. That's not what he's doing. And then finally, he doesn't care. Look what he says in verse 13. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. A lot of people don't care. They don't care. And we're living in an increasingly, I would say, cynical age where people just don't care about other people. They don't care anymore. It's a sad truth that in this world, we are seeing people increasingly less caring about each other. So that's the hireling, and that's the problem of the hireling. Now, we know what the problem of the devil is, the wolf here, who is trying to gobble up all the sheep. We see those in earlier verses. Look what it says here in early in the scripture. Because in verse number seven, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, now that's the devil, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what the devil does. The devil wants to do three very bad things to all of us. He wants to steal our souls, He wants to kill us eternally and to destroy everything of value about us. So in a lot of ways, he is a thief. He is a murderer. He is a terrorist. That's the devil. If you want to really say what the devil does, he does those three things. And he is clear in his intentions of harm toward each one of us. But in contrast to the wolf and to the hireling, You have the good shepherd, and that, of course, is Jesus. Look what the scripture says about Jesus. He says first here that he knows his sheep. He knows his sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. You're not a a number. You're not somebody who's a statistic. You are a person with a name and an eternal place in his heart. He knows his sheep. He knows them. He sees them. He watches them. He cares about you. He knows his sheep. And that's very important. The hireling might or might not know individual sheep, but this shepherd knows each individual sheep. If you'll remember, one of the stories that's one of the great stories is he left the 99 to go after what? The one lost sheep. Well, he missed that one sheep. He knew exactly which sheep it was, and he went after that sheep. He loves his sheep. He cares for his sheep. He knows them, and furthermore, they know him. Notice he says, and am known by my own. So if you want to be saved forever, it seems to me that you need to be a part of that flock. You need to be a part of the sheepfold that Jesus is speaking of in this story. If you are known by him, then you're going to know him back. You're going to be able to recognize him. Now, the scripture here says that he has these sheep 
And he promised to bring in here, furthermore, that he has them, he, he has possession of them. And in verse number 15, he says, as the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He is going to, he promises in this verse to lay his life down for the sheep. Now he hadn't died yet, but he's getting ready to. And he's getting ready to do this amazing act. And when we look at this, we learn that he knows his sheep and they know him back and he promises to bring in here other sheep. Look in verse number 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So you find out that when Jesus talked to them, that he had sheep in his fold already, his disciples. There were people who he already knew had called them and he had them as part of his fold. He, they were his sheep. But he said, I have other, others that you don't know about. And, and they also are going to join up and they're gonna be part of one fold. Now we know after Jesus died and raised from the dead that the Holy Spirit came. And when the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, that created this thing called the church. And the church is the, the working of God to bring in people who are Jews and Gentiles alike to be a part of God's family. And he says they're, they're all gonna be part of one fold. We're, we're not part of the Baptist fold or the Catholic fold, but we're part of the fold, Jesus's fold. We're part of that one group, regardless of how we demarcate ourselves on this world. And because of that, the Lord has said to us that we are part of that. And he predicted that we would be part of his fold. And notice how he says, I have, notice he says, I have. I've got other sheep. He knew you and me ahead of time. We weren't even born. Our parents weren't born. Our grandparents weren't born. But he says, I've got them. I've got them. I know who they are. I know they're going to be born someday. I know them. I've got them. They're going to come in. They're going to be, they're going to hear, notice that that they, I must bring and they will hear my voice. See, God has to knock on the door of our hearts, folks. We have to hear from the word of God and we have to be able to hear. We have to have a spiritual hearing. I heard of a man who was old and had problems hearing. That never happens, but yes, in case it, it's familiar, you, you might can say amen, but uh, you have here a man who was old. He, he got the latest hearing aid. He uh, came back after three months to the doctor. Doctor said, well, how's it going? And the man said, it's perfect. I can hear 100%. And the doctor said, well, what'd your family say? He said, well, I didn't tell them. <laughs> Why didn't you tell them? He said, well, no, I just sat back and listened to everything. But I will tell you what I did do. I changed my will three times. <laughs> We have to be able to hear. And, and that is the question. How do you hear God? Now, we know several things about God. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we know that it's God's word that we are exposed to. When we hear God's word, it either touches our heart to obey or it touches our heart to rebel or let it go. Uh, not everybody who I've preached to got saved. Not everybody who I've tried to witness to has been saved. But I don't have power over that. But I can tell you this, some have. And 
I guarantee you, if you're a saved person, you believe in Jesus Christ, somebody told you the good news. Somebody told you the truth about Jesus, and it came from the word of God. Now, Jesus is not just a shepherd. I mean, he's good, but he's really good. When we talk about him as the good shepherd, he's not going to run away. He's going to call and take care of all of his sheep. He's not going to lose one of us. And furthermore here, he does something remarkable. It says here that he says, my sheep hear my voice, and he includes them, and he's, he's guaranteeing protection over us. But that's not the most incredible part. The most incredible part is he says, the good shepherd lays down his life. He says it in four different verses, and in verse 18, he says it twice. He lays down his life. Now, that's what I call committed. He lays down his life for the sheep. That is amazing. He, he cares for them so much that he's willing to die for them. How many people would risk their lives and lay down their lives for their sheep? But he would, because he's the good shepherd. Now, that brings me back to the second part because anybody can lay down their lives. It's been done before. Many people have died for a cause. They do it all the time, sometimes wrongly. You know, you might think I'm, I'm destroying the enemy by going out and flying a plane into a building and taking innocent people's lives, and you think you're doing God a service. Well, you're laying down your life, you're taking other people's lives, but you may not actually be doing what's right. Anybody can lay down their lives, even though it's hard for most of them. But that's not the point that I want to make. I want you to look at the second part because he says here that in verse number 17, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. And he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. So when he got his instruction to go to this world, he had a command to go lay down his life and to take his life back. That was a command. That's a pretty tough, tough, tough order. I mean, most anybody can lay their lives down, but can you take it back? Many people have claimed, oh, I'm gonna come back. I think Houdini said, well, I'll come back or let you know somehow. Uh, but the truth is, I haven't heard from Houdini lately. Uh, I think he died and he's pretty, pretty dead as far as that goes. And most every religious leader, they died. But Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. He took his life back. What kind of man is this that can take his life back? Not only that, but you notice that he says, no one takes it from me. That's why I love what one of my professors said my freshman year in college. He said, Jesus was always the victor, not the victim. He was really in control. He knew, look, death had to get permission to take his life and then death couldn't keep him dead. So that's how powerful Jesus was. He literally had the power over death. Who else can we say has done that? No one. And he performed and actually did what he said. He died, yes, but he came back to life when he marched into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. They, they accepted him as a king. They hailed him as a king, and they were right. He was the rightful king. 
And this reminds us of what the scripture says because the Bible says in the word that we are to pray every day, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So we are serving a king who has the power to lay his life down and the power to take his life back up, and that we are supposed to, therefore, pray for his kingdom with him as king to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in righteousness and to seek his righteousness and his kingdom. Now, how does that work? Well, let's talk about his kingdom. If we want his kingdom to come, we want his rule and his rule externally in the world. That's our goal. Do you think anywhere in the Bible that the Bible supports secular anti-Christian government? Do you believe that's ever taught in the Bible? The Bible teaches that all people need to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. We want the governments to confess Jesus as Lord. Our own United States government put it in the Constitution in the year of, Lord, of our Lord when it was passed. They said in the year of our Lord, they spelled it out in English. So they called him Lord. We want every government on earth to recognize Jesus as Lord. That's what we want. Now, what we don't want is we don't want to go out and point a gun at somebody and say, you must make Jesus Lord. That's what we don't want. We don't want the government forcing people to claim Jesus is Lord. Now, why is it important? It's important because God first told us that we want his kingdom to come. We want God to rule on earth as it is in heaven. There's no crime in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. There's nothing wrong in heaven. And that's what I call perfection. So why not want it here? We are to pray for God's rule on this earth, period. His external rule. Now, I want to promise you and tell you that the Bible predicts that someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that God, that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's predicted in three different places in the Bible, in Isaiah 45, and in Romans 14, 11, and in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Now, in Isaiah, it predicts that someday all of the people would confess the Lord God as Lord. And then in Romans, Paul says that they shall someday proclaim he is Lord. And in Philippians, Paul says they should proclaim Jesus as Lord. So what I think God did, the Holy Spirit, is God, the Holy Spirit, explained Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23, and explained the total meaning of those verses, that they will someday, everybody is going to bow their knees to Jesus. At the judgment, nobody's going to say you're an unjust judge because they'll know he's right. No one will be able to contradict him. God will rule the world. He'll rule all souls. He'll rule everything. That's an inevitability. But what's the problem with that? While it may be true that externally they get ruled in their hearts, they never made a voluntary choice to serve God. And because of that, they don't receive the benefit of salvation. God could take over at any moment. So when we want God to rule, we don't want him ruling externally by force of our will, 
but rather we want something else to happen. But we do want it to happen. We want God to be in control. We don't want the murderers murdering. We don't want the rapists raping. We don't want all of the, the thieves stealing. We don't want the cheaters to cheat. We want people to do the right thing. And that's what we're praying for. Someday, it'll be mandatory. Everybody, did you know that people in hell have to obey the rules? <laughs> they, they don't escape. They absolutely have to obey all the rules. But I don't think I'd want to be there. And nor should you want to be there. So it's inevitable that God's kingdom is going to come. But when we pray for it to come, we don't want it to be someday in the future. We want it to be now. We want it now. Be instantaneous, insistent. God, I want this rule on this earth now, please. We want an external rule, yes. Now, the external rule of Jesus happens through two means that I know of. We know that when he comes back to earth, he's taken over. So that's in either the near future or the distant future. I don't know. But when he comes back, that's going to happen. But there's a second way that God's kingdom externally can be enacted on earth. And that's through the Holy Spirit's obedience, when we obey the Holy Spirit. Because if you are a Christian and you are an officer of, of the government, you owe your allegiance to Jesus. And if you obey Jesus, guess what? You're not going to break his word. So that means that you're going to be acting as a representative of the king. And that's good. We want more people acting as representatives of Jesus on this world. If the Holy Spirit is helping you obey and you obey him, you'll already have a part of God's kingdom. So wherever you rule, wherever Jesus rules in you and you obey him, the spirit of God lets the kingdom happen in a short, like a, like a little deposit of what's to come. But notice that we're supposed to pray not only thy kingdom come, but thy will be done. And that's his righteousness. Now that is the internal righteousness that comes from God in our hearts. Now that's something that God wants everybody to do. Everybody, want, God wants all of us to willfully choose to follow him. And, and that happens because of what the Lord wants for us. I mentioned to you earlier about faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But how shall they hear without a preacher? So you've got to have somebody to preach the word. They have to hear the word and then it produces faith. Now the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. So what is righteousness? A lot of people say, say that righteousness just means doing good. But I think righteousness is pleasing God because Hebrews 11.6 says very plainly, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith comes by hearing. So we have God's will when we please God. Are we pleasing God in our hearts? Are we pleasing God with our choices? Are we pleasing God as sheep? Or are we wandering away somewhere? We need to be hearing his voice. And we hear when we listen to the word. And we listen to the word when we listen to it preached. And we must listen and obey it because God wants us to be good sheep so we can be part of the good shepherd's fold. And that's why we want his will to be done. It's an internal thing. Externally, we want his rule. 
but it's not all about politics. It's more about God ruling the world, but there's also the internal kingdom that happens inside us all. And he doesn't want to come in. He doesn't break the door down of your, of your house. He says, he knocks. He just knocks. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open up, I will come in to him. That's, he, he asks you permission. He, does, he, he can force himself, but he wants you to want him. He wants us to want him. He wants us to be responsible enough to choose him. But this world distracts us. I'm glad we had this song. Oh, how to evil the world allures us. The, the, the verse said in one of the songs we sang today, how to evil, how easy it is to listen to the wrong voices, to get distracted just like sheep. But we need to be listening to the shepherd, hearing his voice. If you're not listening, if you're not spending time trying to learn from him, are you part of his sheep? Are you really a part? And all who hear the word, not all hear him. It goes in one ear, out the other. Perhaps the devil takes it out before it, it takes seed. Sometimes the troubles of this world distract us to where we don't seem to have any ability to do anything that we want. But he is the good shepherd. How good is he? Well, he laid his life down for us, but he also took it back again. And if he has the power to do that, how big a problem do you have that he can't solve? Is your pro are your problems any bigger than that? He literally took his life back from death. If he can conquer death, I don't think anything we have is too big for him. So do we as Christians want Christian governments and Christian sports and Christian movies? The answer is absolutely we should. Do we want to force everybody to do that? No. We don't want to force anybody to do anything. We want them to hear his voice and obey him, the shepherd. That's what we want. And we need that to happen. We're not part of some plot to try to force people to be Christian. There's no such thing. God's going to force everybody to bow the knee. That's absolutely going to happen. So he doesn't need our help to force anybody to bow down, does he? But if we serve God, we need to make sure we hear his voice and pray that others will hear his voice because if they don't, they will be gone and they will not be a part of the flock and they will be left to all of the damage and destruction that the devil will inflict upon them. And he will inflict it. And that's the sad truth today. If we want to seek God's kingdom, we must seek the shepherd, the king, and we must accept that God wants to rule in two places. He wants to rule externally, but he wants to rule internally. And if we help him out by internally submitting to him, then the external eventually will take care of itself. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I want to celebrate today the amazing man, Jesus Christ, what he did for us on a cross, what he did by laying down his life for me, one of the sheep, I didn't even, I wasn't even born. All the things that I would ever do in my life were future, but you still laid down your life for me and for others like me. I thank you for that. And I thank you that somebody preached the word of God and were able to express these same truths and your Holy Spirit knocked on the door of my heart. Thank you. And I pray that today we as your sheep would also respond and obey you as a part of your kingdom. Help us all to obey you, 
have faith that pleases you and listen to your word. And Lord, not only may your righteousness be true of us internally, but would you extend that righteousness externally on our own country because we have so much evil going on in our, our rulers among us that it seems that the, the odds are stacked hopelessly against us. But Lord, you are great and you are going to rule the whole world someday. So thank you for what you do. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that you would help us in this invitation in Jesus' name and amen.